go to the Lord in prayer. We'll receive the morning offering. Brother David, would you lead us? Mm-hmm. Father, Father, now we just ask you to bless this offering. Bless each and every part of the service today, Father. Father, I just I pray to you for uh, Brother Wally being able to be back today. Yes, Father, amen. Just a great news, Father. Amen. Be with each and every person on the service today, Father. In mm-hmm. Christ's name. Amen. amen. Happy anniversary, by the way. I I mentioned that to Brother Wayne here, and he says, yeah, well, here's how I said it. I don't know if this was disrespectful or not, but but it might have been. I I said, uh, happy anniversary. You've been married longer than I've been alive. (laughs) And and he said, yeah, to to the same woman is what he said. Now, Now, that really is amazing. That, that really is the truth. That's amazing stuff there. And uh, uh, most people don't last that long. We're halfway caught up to you, by the way. Patty and I will have our 31st anniversary this October. Is, is, am I right about that 31st, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, some people don't last 60 months or 61 months or whatever. And uh, uh, we, we talked about how Sometimes you're married for 60 years, but it's to six different women, 10 years at a time, and all that kind of stuff. And so when, when, you're, when you have a relationship that lasts as long as you guys have lasted, there's something special there. And that's got to be Christ-centered. There's no question about that. So once again, congratulations. And then uh, glad to see Steve back in here. We had planned on maybe seeing him in the hospital today, but you got out and ruined our plans for this afternoon. So. Anyways, and Wally, good to see you here, uh, just like David uh, mentioned there in his prayer. Yeah, we went up to see Wally the other night, and uh, I, didn't th- I, I might have said this last week. I didn't think there was anything wrong with him. I thought he should have gotten out of the hospital last, last week. So when did you actually get out? That following, uh, following day? Sunday. When? Sunday. Yeah, okay, all right. Sunday all right, good. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, 
<laughs> I was not purposely trying to age you, Wally. Yeah. Well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, I didn't, you, you just don't look to me like you're 85. That, that's, that's what, uh, that's what to be. <laughs> so anyway, folks, today is the last day of, of this lesson plan that we're doing here. And uh, uh, there's going to be a little, little state of flux over the next couple of months with me here because uh, I may be, I haven't decided, I'm going to let the airline know, I finally got my medical certificate back so I can, I can fly. And I have spent many days and hours flying airplanes already and it's been a wonderful blessing to be able to be back up there again and do that. But um, anyway, I have not quite decided, but we're going to try to decide by the end of the week if I'm going to go back to work or not and see what happens there. And if that's the case, I'm probably not going to be doing a whole lot of Sunday school teaching, at least for the next four to six months because of just how that's going to work with me getting back in line with the, with the airline. They have told me that it's going to be like I've never worked there before and that I have to go back through all the stuff again. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to it, even though I probably, probably do me some good to, to do that, you know. So anyways, uh, if, if it goes like Pastor has said it's going to, we're going to start next week a, a program, and I probably will teach next week for sure. I don't think anything will happen that quick, but uh, it's going to be a program that all of the Sunday school classes are going to be doing called Stewarding Life. And uh, he told me he'll get me the lesson plan in the book this evening at church, so I'll, I'll get a good idea how that's going. And then for at least next Sunday, have a very good introduction to, to what we're going to do. Sounds, sounds like it might be pretty, pretty interesting. I know that uh, uh, Brother Ken has been teaching a class back there titled the, a, a Principled Life by Robert Ouellette. And I actually got that book and have followed along with some of his lessons, and it's been, it's been really good education about how as Christians we ought to just, we ought to run our lives according to the biblical principles. And sometimes that's very difficult to even figure out what that means or what that looks like or whatever, and that's what these classes are going to kind of be about from, from what I've been able to gather here. So anyway, we'll get started up here. Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the blessings of people being back in the church and out of these hospitals. We feel saddened about Darla's mom here uh, now, Lord, and some of the details about that accident and everything, Lord. But uh, um, we're, we're uh, thankful that that was maybe a, a, a quick exit here from this life. And Lord, there was no suffering, no hospital time or anything like that. And Father, we just uh, would be careful to give you the thanks and the praise for anything that goes on. We'd ask now that you would bless our time of study here this morning, be with the preacher as he brings us a message later this morning. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, you know, thanks for reminding me about that. I, does, does everybody know about that, Sharon Howe's uh, sister? So that was a real quick thing, too, it seemed like. I don't know how long. She was 86 years old. She was 18 years older than Sharon. Okay, yeah. Well, well so I, I didn't, we kind of heard that she was a little bit sick, and then we, we heard, like, one day she went into hospice care, and then the next day that she was dead. So... You know, that was a, uh, 
that was kind of an answer to prayer because we prayed with Sharon about this and everything. And I just, I said, look, I would just like the Lord to just take her home quick so there's not a whole bunch of uh, fussing around. Oh, did she? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a tough way to, that's a tough way to be around, that's for sure. So, um, was she saved and everything? Was the sister? I don't know. Don't. I think, I think Sharon said she was. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe she's uh, lavishing in glory at this, at this point. We can only hope, we can only hope so. Anyways, um, just kind of follow up from last uh, week and everything. We'll revisit the title of the lesson. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I'm hopeful that by the time we get done with all this and you guys have some time to contemplate what has gone on in this class and, and what this guy has said in this book, I've actually reread this whole book again just because it's just how I do it in preparation for these lessons and everything. And it's a wonderful book. If you ever get a chance, you ought to pick up a copy of it. You're welcome to borrow this one. It's all marked up and everything, but you'd have the teacher's notes in there, right? That might be helpful to you. But um, anyway, I just appreciate Tom Rayner and what he wrote down in this book where it really outlines and, and gives you some kind of detail about our responsibility as Christians to go out and share the gospel with people. And then all the, all the uh, lesson and everything there on how you can do that with, a, with a, 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 an ease about it and also with, a, a, with some kind of a level of confidence in what we're, in what we're doing. So last week as we were, we were doing this, we had talked about the, the barriers of sharing the gospel and how they came up with the ones that were the, the ones that we ended up talking about. There was a big survey done, which incidentally I think Patty's handing out a survey to you guys today. If we could maybe get those back from you next week or something, that'd be good because I'd like some feedback on the class and also about the way I instruct and how all that goes on. And, uh, and just be honest about it. If you, don't, if, you, if you liked some things about the class and, and it was helpful to you, put that down. If there were some things that maybe we went over too many times and you didn't like that, put that down. If you don't like the way I comb my hair, put that down. Wh whatever you want to put on that, on that thing there, just please be honest about it. It's very beneficial to us as the Sunday school teachers and to collectively, the three of us, where we can sit down and and try to decide what we could do to improve because we're always wanting to be better at what we're, at what we're doing here. Handling God's word, I'll tell you, I've, I've been standing up here, as you guys well know, for a long time, and this still terrifies me to come up here and start talking about God's word. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult, I can, I can stand up here and talk to a whole group of people about aerodynamics and all that kind of stuff, that's not a problem for me, but this handling God's word is, is it's precious, it's valuable, it's eternal. And that's the real, that's the real thing that's, that I struggle with is, man, this has got some lasting, impactful kind of things, the stuff that we're talking about here. So Amen. talked about the barrier of business, uh, busyness, just all, all too busy. We kind of reiterated here that our life is a very short time frame here. Book of James says it's like a vapor, comes and goes, vanishes away. Um, we need to number our days in Psalm 90:12. We're too busy to share the gospel. Maybe we're just too busy. Something to think about there. If we don't make time, maybe we don't think sharing the gospel is that important. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, and then we said, how do we solve the mythical problem of busyness? 
yeah, where everybody's too busy all the time, but you can, if you adjust your time and you get to be where you're a good steward of what you're, what you're doing, you can always find time. We gave some statistics there, as a matter of fact, a little math problem. Here, if you spend a half hour a day on the internet, that's 82, 182 hours a year, and what, what could the Lord do if you witness to 180 dif 82 different people for at least an hour in the same period of time there? You know, you might see several people come to know the Lord as their savior. Um, we talked about praying uh, for opportunities to share the gospel, and we've talked about that a lot in here. You've got to always just ask the Lord, put people in your, in your way to share the gospel with them and everything. And then um, the next thing we talked about, the barrier of apathy. And uh, we mentioned that it's closely related to this whole issue of business but, or busyness, but then we came in there and we gave, a, we kind of defined it a little bit more where we, said, uh, where we said, look, you've got this, uh, the, the apathy, the kind of the definition of that is you could do something, you could have the ability to do something, but you just don't care enough about it to actually do something. And that really is a pretty sad position to be in when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. It's, it's certainly not pleasing to, to the Lord, and... Uh, it's certainly not fair to the person that you might have passed up that needed to hear the gospel that, that day or maybe needed some prayer time from you, you know. Uh, we mentioned that apathy is one of these things that describes your motive and intent. Remember, we talk about the spiritual aspect of God's word here, and it says it discerns. It discerns your heart and your intents on what you're trying to do, and that's a, that's a very important aspect of this. If we're not motivated to share the gospel, then we're guilty of apathy. How do we come over, overcome the, the barrier of apathy? Pray about the condition of our heart. Pray for opportunities to see the opportunities. You don't just pray for opportunities. You also pray for, Lord, open my eyes up and let me just be able to realize and discern the person that I should talk to or get um, moving over towards that person. We can also pray for a heart of compassion. That we, we reference Matthew 9, 36 through 38 there about Jesus, the way he was moved with compassion when he looked out over the crowd and, uh, and uh, uh, seen these people. And he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't have any idea what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. They don't know. And so that brings us to the last part of the, of the actual book. And then uh, we'll go through this, and then I've got some things that I want to comment about here. The barrier of lack of discipline. All right, so this is where we're going to start off. This is a different, different lesson. You've probably got some more things that you need to write in as far as your underlying words go and all that kind of stuff. And so this, was, this is a story right out of the book, and I'm not reading the whole thing or anything, but I am going to paraphrase what it says, because it's about three pages long in the book here. And uh, uh, the, the question that starts this chapter out in this book says, what were you doing during the pandemic? What did you do during the pandemic? And he mentions stuff like this. He says, that whole pandemic and everything, the COVID thing, we're going to be talking about that for the rest of our lives. We'll be talking about that to our grandkids and maybe their grandkids or their kids, if, you know, we're around that long or whatever. But anyhow, that whole thing was a, a very interesting exercise in, in uh, humanism to watch and see how people handled that. What was really interesting to me was the division, particularly in our country, how that happened. There's the no maskers and there's, you've got to have a mask on every, if you're going to bed at night by yourself in a, in a drainage 
sewer. You have to have the mask. I, I mean, it was, there was a lot of that stuff that was the most ridiculous stuff that I ever seen. And when you were out in the job that I was doing at that time, it was, it was absurd what was going on in these airplanes. I mean, just absolutely. And people getting into fist fights over whether or not they're wearing them. Oh, my goodness gracious. Anyway, so here's what this, here's what this all came down to here. He says, uh, Tom says, what his, his publisher said, what, you know, the question was, what did you do during the pandemic, Tom? And here's what he did. He wrote a book while he was going through this pandemic. But here's how the book came out. His publisher said, we're seeing a lot of confusion out here in Christianity about how things are being handled. Now, I can tell you right now, here's how Patty and I handled that. And I can say this unequivocally, unapologetically. We said, God is in control of this thing. I'm not going to do anything different than I do the rest of my life. If I get COVID and drop dead, okay, God puts that that's his deal, not mine. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm not going to argue with God about it and all this kind of stuff. Now, I get it. Please don't get me wrong. I understand that that COVID is a real, honest to goodness. We, we had one of our friends died from that. I get it. I totally understand that that was a real thing. The problem in the division came up with how our government handled the way that we were going to deal with this stuff. Now, you can agree or disagree or whatever about that. But uh, uh, there's room for argument probably on both sides of the equation. But when it comes down to just dealing with your life as Christians, we just put our faith and trust in Christ and just said, hey, we're just going to do what God has us, what he puts on our heart to do. That's how we're going to operate here and everything. Well, so this publisher says, hey, his publisher saw a lot of confusion. That's one of your underlying words here. There shouldn't be confusion in the Christian faith. We, we ought to be steadfast in just knowing that God is in control of these things. I'll tell you what, it's got me through a whole lot of stuff with our government particularly because that's about the only thing that I ever really get kind of perturbed about sometimes. I just look at it, and then I know that God is the one that sets the kings up, and he's the one that takes the kings down, and he's the one that's overall in control of all of this stuff. So here's what, uh, here's what Tom did. He says, his publishers saw a lot of confusion in the Christian community as to where the churches were headed during the pandemic. We had some taste of that here at, at, at our very church, the way that we were going early on, at least, because nobody knew what this thing was, was doing, you know. And then, uh, so he had, a, he had to write this book, and he wrote the book in 19 days. Now imagine that, sit down and write a book in 19 days because your publisher says, there's an urgency here, we need to have this book written out here. And so what the title of the book was The Post-Quarantine Church. All right? He also got into some fitness routines like jogging and bought a treadmill, a few other things that he had, had done in here. And while he's writing in this chapter, he's always, he always comes up parenthetically, he'll say, I can have discipline when I put my mind to it. You know, he says that about the writing the book. He says that about his commitment to the publisher. He says that about his commitment to getting on a treadmill. Thought he might get in shape. Well, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. We're all sitting around in our houses wearing our masks and all this stuff, right? And so why not buy a treadmill and kind of keep your, yourself in shape? So he mentioned that he can have discipline when he puts his mind to it. And he says that several times during this, during this uh, uh, chapter. The words discipline and disciple come from the same root word, meaning the right order or the right path. All right? 
didn't know that. I, I knew that they kind of came from the right, th or the same root word, but I didn't know exactly spiritually, in the way he defines it here, what, what that meant. The right order and the right path. Some common spiritual disciplines include these things. Praying, we've talked about that, and we should be doing that daily or continuously. Fasting, the real focus on some aspect of our spiritual life. You, you do that. Remember Jesus said when the, when the disciples asked him something about, how come we couldn't make that demon get out of that person? Jesus said, some of these things only come out by prayer and fasting. So if you really want to focus on something that you're praying about, some desire that you have for God, no matter what that aspect of it is, maybe, you're, maybe your prayer life is that you would like to learn about how to just worship God in the right fashion and everything, then uh, go, on a, go on a two or three day fast, drink just water, and see how that focuses your mind towards what you're, what you're trying to get accomplished here. Reading, reading the Bible, reading different sermons, reading different stories about our faith and our Christianity, and particularly things about, uh, things about Jesus. That will really get you, help you get you in the right frame of mind. Meditating on the scripture, focus on learning and hearing what the scripture says. Um, worship, your proper attitude towards worship. You know, um, Brother David Hardy wrote that, wrote that book, Worship and at the, Worship at the Altar. I can't remember what the name of it is. It's a small book. I've read it. Can't remember the name of it, but uh, um, I actually got to get an autographed copy of that, courtesy of my, uh, my uh, daughter up in Stillwater there. That's where, that's where they're from up there and everything. But anyway, it's a wonderful book, and it just shows the different postures that you should be in and how you should, how you should uh, uh, be, the attitude that you should have when you're worshiping God. Stewardship, time, money, talents. Learn about these things. Solitude and gratitude, content, contentment. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had all these different things laying around in the prison or when he was doing really good. He said, no matter what condition I'm in, therewith I'm content. I've learned how to be content in those things. I have difficulty with that sometimes. Sometimes I have to just ask the Lord to, to just let me be thankful for what I have. Whether I'm going through a good time or a bad time, please just let me be help, uh, thankful for what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, Evangelism is also a spiritual discipline. When we share the gospel, we demonstrate two things here. Our willingness to get on the path set forth by Jesus. He certainly witnessed a lot. He told all kinds of people, showed them, demonstrated to them everything about himself, who he was. And then our willingness and desire to be like Jesus. Willing and desire to be like him. A disciple of Jesus is one who follows him and practices the patterns of his life. Yeah, you got to practice this stuff. The book titled The Master Plan of Evangelism, wrote by a guy named Robert Coleman, is a classic book on sharing the gospel. The thesis is in the title. We should share the gospel in a disciplined and planned way. So part of the discipline is just first deciding that you're going to do it. That's part of being disciplined about these things. You know, people that... that go out for, we, we look at people that are involved with athletic things where we might use the word discipline. Wow, that person is out here. We seen somebody out here the other day when it was seven degrees outside jogging. And I, I actually asked the guy, um, I stopped and I said, do you need a lift somewhere? 
<laughs> you know, I felt kind of bad for the guy. And he goes, no, no, I'm out here exercising. I said, you're committed to that, aren't you? And he says, yes, sir, I am, and have been for 62 years. He was an old man. That's why I was wondering what he was doing out there that early in the morning, you know. Anyway, uh, disciplined and planned way. But we talk about the discipline that these people have, lifting weights all the time, running, jogging, pole vaulting, whatever you're doing. Yeah, they really get into a discipline. We should be in a discipline. We should have our lives disciplined to be involved with the gospel and, and then use that to you know, set yourself up for being able to share it with somebody. Uh, characteristics of evangelistic discipline. First of all, the commitment. And then uh, here, here's what Tom talks about this year. He says, the folks that lack discipline to regularly share the gospel have not taken a step toward long-term commitment. So I mentioned he, he, got on this, he got on this treadmill. He also bought this treadmill while he was doing, during his COVID thing. And, uh, and he says on there, I splurged and I got, the, I got the video link to have a trainer help me out with this thing. And so the first day he gets on there, his trainer, he mentions the guy's name here, Tommy, gets on there, a guy from Portugal, as a matter of fact. And he says, as, as we're getting started on this, he was wondering if he was even going to be able to do this or not. As we're getting started on this thing, Tommy comes up as he's running him through all this beautiful terrain. I don't know if you guys ever seen these things or not, but I've had occasion to sit on one and plug it all in, and it's like you're jogging up a mountain trail or something. It's amazing what they can do with the technology, you know. And so you kind of almost forget that you're jogging or walking or whatever because it's so beautiful what you're seeing. Well, this guy comes up on the screen, and he says, Tom, you've taken the first step to getting this done and get it right. And he says, you have made a commitment to at least getting on the treadmill. And then he talks about how, yeah, that was, that was a commitment all right. Took him up to six weeks before he could run at a standard pace uh, for at least 30 minutes. Started off, he was able to do it 30 seconds at a time. But because of the commitment that he had and the discipline that he followed, pretty soon he's, run, he's jogging for a half hour at a time at pretty high speed. Now, I can't do that. I'm not that good. at When I get on a treadmill, I walk on them. That's how I do, and I usually do it for an hour and a half at a time. All right? So anyways, the commitment aspect of it. The next aspect of this is readiness. You must be prepared to share at any given time. And then he talks about a... Uh, occasion that he runs into here with a guy at an airport. He has, um, this guy travels all over the place, and he runs in, he's walking through this airport one day, and he was in there a little bit early to go to his flight, and a guy at a shoeshine booth, everybody's been in an airport, you see the guys with the shoeshine stands and all that stuff, ask him if he wanted his shine. you know. Well, he had been praying earlier that the Lord would put somebody in his path to, to witness to but he walks right by the guy and says, no, I don't, I don't. And then he got a little bit further down the concourse there and turned around and went back and says, you know what? I've changed my mind. I think I want to have my shoes shined up, you know. And the guy looked at his shoes, he says, and he says, that's a good decision there, sir. You need to have your shoes. <laughs> Going to a speaking engagement and all that stuff. So anyway, he talks about this man and how over the next several months, being in and out of that airport, he always went over and made a, a commitment to go over and see Michael. And they, because of that, they would get into some spiritual conversations with one another. Well, one day, he went in there, and Michael was telling him that his grandmother down in Florida had died. And uh, um, he, Tom asked him, are you going to get to go to the funeral? 
And uh, the guy says, no, I, I have no money to buy an airplane ticket to go to that funeral. And Tom mentions that he, he wasn't saying that as a, as a method to try to maybe get Tom to give him some money to go to the funeral or something like that. But Tom immediately left that conversation. He says, I went to the nearest ATM, and he says, at a risk of being like the Pharisees, showing everybody how much they're putting in the basket, he says, I went and I withdrew enough money, and I went and I gave it to this guy so that he could buy an airplane ticket. And I said, I want you to go see your grandmother at the funeral, all right? And he says, the, the shoeshine man had to leave his booth for a minute to go into the restroom because he was so overjoyed by this, he was crying, and he didn't want to be out there in the concourse crying and all this stuff. So anyway, here's what all this happened, ready to share the gospel. A few weeks later, he comes back, he's going through the airport again, and this Michael comes up to him and says, I want you to know I've become a Christian. Amen. I'm already in a church, I'm already doing fellowship with other Christians and stuff, and it was all because of Tom's readiness to share the gospel with this guy on a moment's notice. Now listen, some people might look at this and say, yeah, he bought the guy's affection by buying him an airline ticket. That's not what happens. When you're a Christian, you do that kind of stuff, and if you're sincere about it, people know about your sincerity. It's transparent. You can see, right? You can see it. You can see this person is doing this because they genuinely care for me, and so it's another light on a hill out here. This is the way we need to be as Christians, and this is the way we need to be when we're sharing the gospel with people, by the way. All right? Now, understanding why we have the barriers. So Tom says that he's been reading the book of Joshua quite a bit, and all these different things about the Israelites balking to go into the promised land and what, what have you. You know, during the time of Moses, they didn't, they didn't want to do it. It wasn't what was happening. As a result, they wandered around in the wilderness for uh, 40 years. They were fearful to venture into the new land, even though God promised to protect them. So maybe some of us are fearful to venture into the new land of witnessing to somebody, handing out a gospel tract, praying with somebody on the street, talking to the cash register operator or whatever. Even though God's promised to be with us when we're doing that, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be there with you every time you're doing this. He's out there preparing his fields for the harvest before we ever got there. As a matter of fact, he was preparing the fields for the harvest before we were ever born, folks. Even guys like you, Wayne, that had been married for 60 years. He was preparing the gospel and the field and everything before you and Martha ever got married. I mean, that's just the way it is, folks. And God gives us, gives us that promise here. We don't want to be like the Israelites and be fearful to venture into that area there. God promises to be with us when we're witnessing to people, period. The Israelites paid a very heavy price for their disobedience. God gives Joshua a commandment here, be strong and courageous. He also gives us the same commandment. Maybe not in exactly those same words and everything, but you've got to be strong and courageous to go out and talk to somebody. Listen, it can, be, it can be terrifying the first time you do it. It's a little less terrifying the next time. The hundredth time you do it, it's not terrifying at all. You, you just do it and you just do it. It's just that simple. It really is. So what does all this have to do with us evangelizing? God has promised his presence, and we have responded with a lack of faith if you're not doing it out there. So two underlines there, presence and faith. We can have all kinds of objections. We've talked about these. What if I offend somebody? What if I'm rejected? What if I'm not listened to? What if I mess up and I don't know what to say? God's right there with you. doesn't make any difference if you mess up. If you don't know what to say, he'll give you the words to say. Each of these excuses demonstrates we're not trusting God to be with us. The bottom line is that we lack, there's an underline, 
we lack faith. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to have faith in, in what God's doing and everything. But practice makes perfect, and so you just do it, and you'll, your faith will increase here. General, what's that? Oh, God has promised his presence. God has promised his presence, and we have responded with a lack of faith. It's the second one there. Boy, that's, that's tough when, you, when you're doing something and somebody comes along and says, you're lacking faith there, sir. You need to have some faith in this and everything. Um, yeah, with God's word, we've got the truth on our side. We've got the gospel, and we've got God backing us up, folks. It's, it ought to be very encouraging to go out there and share the gospel with somebody. Um, general overview about the lack of faith from, from the book. That, the lack of faith, or faith, praying, and all that stuff, comes up over and over and over in this book because it really is, it really is the, the main essence of what you have to have to even be a Christian. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible, not, not, it's, not it's hard, not any, it, it says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So a great demonstration to God about where your faith is at is to witness to people. Get out of your comfort zone and go out there and do some things that, uh, that maybe you're not real comfortable doing and, and that you're relying on your faith. You're just, you know, boy, I'm just, I'm faithful. I know that God is going to be with me when I go out here and do this thing. It's time for us to stop focusing on what we cannot do and start focusing on what Jesus can do. The message is clear. It's time to go, folks. You need to go out there and do it. That's the end of the class. That's the end of the thing, other than some stuff I'm going to comment about here, about what we do after this. Um, anybody have any questions, comments, concerns there about the class, anything that we've said, any blanks you didn't get filled in? all that stuff. I hope that uh, this has all been encouraging to you and that you haven't, uh, I haven't belabored too many of the points, but, but sometimes you need to have the point belabored, you know. Jesus belabored a lot of things. He, he, would, he would go in here and he'd tell a parable, he'd, then he'd go back and he'd redefine it, and then a couple chapters later he's kind of saying the same thing over and over again. And in the essence of that book, the Bible, is that we need to understand who Jesus is, and then he says, go out and tell people about me. Remember, he even asked the disciples one time, hey, what do people think about me? Who do people think I am? And everything, and they go through that whole iteration, and oh, some people you think you're this guy, some people you think you're that. And he says, look, I'm not interested in what other people think right now. Who do you guys think I am? Who do you th say I am? It was a Peter comes up and says, you're the, you're the Christ. We know who you are, all that stuff. Yep, Peter, you're right about that, but you didn't, you didn't figure that out. The Father in heaven helped you figure that out. He gave that, that information to you. Just like people that we witness to, it's not us doing any of that stuff. It's just like Peter. God will give the increase. God will be the person that's there to let people know, wow, I really, because that guy just gave me this tract, or because that guy stood here and talked to me about, for 10 minutes about Jesus and who he is, I get it. Something happened inside this body and inside my heart where I understand now who Jesus Christ is. And, and, and they'll turn to him. They'll understand it and they'll accept him as Savior. 
and you'll have a ka-ching in your corner up there in heaven because God wants us to do this and everything. So here's what happens next. If nobody's got any questions or comments, concerns about anything, the very last chapter in this book is this right here. What do we do with these people when they become Christians? All right? So you help yourself and them to develop these things right here, these spiritual disciplines. You help them to develop an attitude of prayer. You help them to develop an attitude of corporate discipline, being in churches and stuff. You help them understand the institutions of the Bible, two of them here, the family and the local church. Those two things are the most important. Incidentally, those two things are the most important thing to saving our country from the throes that it's in right now with the politics and everything. As a matter of fact, it's what's going to save the entire world if that could ever happen. But listen, folks, I, I've, I've read the book of Revelation. I know what all is in store for us here. I personally, with America and everything, I'm, I'm, I've just about lost hope that this, can, that this can get back on any kind of a reasonable track. I know it can if there's a revival because God says, if you folks will turn your, away from your wicked ways and turn to me, I'll hear you from heaven and I'll, hear your, I'll heal your land. Amen. Wow, that's praiseworthy there. But boy, how do, you get, how do you get people to do that? I think there might be, what, half of us in America that maybe on a, on a gigantic stretch of the imagination are, are that way. I know this room full of people's like that. We're... We're people, that, uh, we're people that pray. We're people that I'm sure ask God's blessing on this country. But for every one of us, there might be 10 people that aren't doing that. And, and then there might even be 10 more people that are doing the exact opposite of that. See, and that's the, that's the real problem there. So, Bible, the family and the local church. Um, you help them get involved in a local church fellowship. You help them sit under the teaching in a local church. It's kind of like we're doing right now, all these, different, all these different things. You help them get involved in a prayer group in the, in the local church. You know, there's a, um, there's a thing that's out there in these bigger churches. They call them the small groups. As a matter of fact, there's a, uh, there's a very interesting movie. It, what, Patty, was that the title of that, the, the small, small group? Yeah, very cool, very cool movie. Yeah, has anybody ever heard of that movie? I got a few minutes, I'll just tell you about it. You, you have there, huh? Yeah, so it's this reporter, and his assignment is go into one of these Christian churches, and we're going to just prove how phony these people really are, all right? Well, this guy goes in, and he starts finding out that these people aren't phony at all. They're like, these people are genuine folks. When they talk about doing things, they actually do it. When, they, when there's trouble in your life, they come and see you and pray for you. When you have difficulties in your life, they tell you about Jesus Christ. Well, this reporter ends up getting saved in this, in this thing, gets in all kinds of... It's a wonderful movie. It's just a great, good Christian music, uh, movie. Anyways, um, you ought to get involved with that, some kind of a small group here, help, help these people get involved. In. You can help them get involved in worship in a local church. Yeah, invite them to church. That's another thing we've talked about a whole bunch of times here is inviting people to church. You can help them get involved with being generous in the local church. Yeah, there's tithing and all that kind of stuff, but there's also sacrificial giving. There are things that you can just do for people individually that maybe not even, doesn't even have anything to do with the local church, but you just help, help a brother or sister in Christ here in the local church. 
in a lot of cases, that's financial. People don't have money to do something, and man, they really need it bad. So you've got some spare dimes and nickels laying around. Give them some money. Help them out with, with things, you know. And that goes a long way. Just like Tom buying that guy the airplane ticket went a long way towards that man's soul getting to heaven now, right? And that Michael. Uh, you help them understand why the local church is so important for new Christians, and it really is. Um, forsake not the assembling yourselves together as a manner of some is because we're supposed to be out here to edify one another and to increase the increase our faith you help them to understand the fundamentals of the faith listen fundamentals is everything if you don't get the fundamentals of our faith it's hard to go anywhere beyond that really you know if you're going to learn calculus you better know how to add before you ever tried doing any of that other advanced math so fundamentals basics all right and then Here's what I told Patty. I says the last, my last three minutes up here is going to be a, a uh, self-paid ad for our discipleship program that we have at this church. We have got a wonderful discipleship program. And uh, um, here's an overview of the books we, we use, and we'd like to see folks get involved with this thing, either as a student or as a teacher. Let me ask you guys, and I, I would just like you to raise up your hand here about this. Who has been through an official discipleship program since they've been in a church? Steve, you, you have probably have even taught them, huh? Yeah, so very few of us. Listen, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference how long you've been at this. A discipleship program that goes through and it really, on an individual, personal basis with a teacher, go through and it tells you what our faith is like, what we ought to be doing to live out our faith, and the reasons why we do it. It's absolutely wonderful. We have seen people that have been members in the church for 15 years be halfway through this discipleship program and get saved because they didn't, they didn't get it until they start really seeing the big picture. And that's what the discipleship program does. And here's how it outlines. There's 20 books. It's a 20-lesson 20, 20 series here. Uh, we do it on Wednesday nights. You, you don't go to church in here on Wednesday nights. You go to the back room back there, and we sit around. There's four or five of us sit back there, and we teach the, we teach the class individually. Uh, Paul... Uh, he is about halfway through now. I think we're just starting up on book number 11 or 12 is our, our next thing. And it's absolutely, I, I love that man. He's a fun guy to just visit with and talk. And he's got a lot of questions. He's, there's light bulbs going on. And here's the other, here's the side of this equation that's profitable when you're a teacher. He's asked me some questions that I go, eh, I, should probably, <laughs> I should probably know the answer to that question, but I don't. And then we sit there in the scripture and we dig around through it and we find it together. It's just one of the coolest things ever. So book one is salvation. Here's what you've gotten yourself into, right? Uh, book two, eternal security. We all know the answer to that. Once you're in here, you can't get out. Doesn't matter what you're, what you're doing. Baptism does nothing for you for, for your salvation, but it's just being obedient to Christ. It's one of the two institutions that we have, baptism and the, the uh, Lord's Supper. Book four, the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our life and how we need to pay attention to it. Book five, the Word of God, talks all about the Bible and the, and the principles and how to study it and how to look into it. Book six, prayer time. How do, you, how do you pray? What posture should you have? What attitude should you have? And when should you do it? Book seven, the will of God. 
Boy, that's a tough one for me. When we, Paul and I spent, I think, two or three weeks just talking about that because he had as many problems as the, with the will of God as I have with the will of God. I just don't know what God wants to do with me right now, and it's tough to figure that out sometimes. Uh, book eight, the local church. Book nine, other Christians and how to deal with them. That's a very interesting book to go through. Book 10, giving. And that's not just, that's not just money. Does it, as a matter of fact, there's very little of it that has to do with the money side of the thing. It's talking about your time, your talents, your, your dedication to the, to the church here and everything. Book 11, money and possessions. That one talks about some of that. That's the one we're just starting on is book 11. Book 12, dealing with sin. We all have that in our life, right? It'd be nice to have some, somebody through a discipleship program tell you, here's how you deal with this garbage. Here's what can get it out of your life. It's not going to get completely out of your life because we're still human beings and we're still going to sin and we still got things that go on in our minds and bodies. We have a, 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 a battle going on between evil and good in us. And yeah, but there's ways that you can deal with it. And this book 12 talks about that. Book 13, Liberty in Christ. Yeah, man, we have a lot of liberty in Christ. There's a lot of things when it comes to the Bible and when it comes particularly to sharing the gospel with people that we got all kinds of liberty. And God's right there to help us. Book 14, My Job and My Employer. Well, I, I need to read that one, right? I'll have to get that out this afternoon and read that thing again. Book 15, The Unsaved World. And that talks about all the depravity that goes on in this, this life of ours and why we need to be out there telling people about the gospel. Book 16, The Judgment Seat of Christ. Book 17, The Lord's Supper. That's our other ordinance that we have in our Christian faith, the importance of it and how it should be carried out and what goes on with that and the importance of it and why some faiths do that over and over and over again and they have a false evil from the pit of hell reference on what that Eucharist is and all this kind of stuff. So there you figured out who I'm talking about. Book 18, Personal Evangelism. Book 19, Discipleship. And then finally, Book 20, Missions. How to deal with missions as it relates to our faith and to our church and everything. We have an exciting missions conference coming up here not too long. Sounds like we've got some really cool people that are going to be at that thing, and I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, folks, I want to tell you how much I have enjoyed thoroughly teaching this class and visiting with you folks and the conversations I'd have had afterwards and sometimes in private with some of you guys about, the, about the, the, the class and the series, the importance of it and all this kind of stuff. So go out there and, and get to it. You never know when I'm going to walk up to you here in church and say, how you doing your tracks? How, how many people have you witnessed to? So please go out and do it. Just practice it some, man. It's really cool. It's great fun. There are a lot of things that are fun about being a Christian, and witnessing to people is at the top of my list when it comes to that sort of thing. So thank you again for your patience and your time. I will see you back here next week. I don't know what we're going to do yet. We'll, we'll figure out something for next week. I'm sure it'll be exciting and fun, and uh, maybe I'll sing a song for you. If I don't have anything to teach, we might. No, I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> We'd, we would clear the auditorium out of that. App. Anyway, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us here today. I thank you for this series and this book that we were able to study out of here, Lord. I just ask that you'd be with each and every person in this room now, that they would take some application, make some application to this uh, text and the, and the lessons that we've had here, Lord, and that you would just help them to find the boldness and the courage to go out and share the gospel with people. Father, we know that that's your commandment, 
and we would be careful to give you the thanks and the praise for everything that you would do along those lines. We'd ask that you be with the preacher now as he brings us a message this morning. Help us to have a great day. We love you, praise you, and thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you folks again.